2: So this this episode, remember, is Française. Mm. So gotta oh, get the Oh, bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> Ooh, I should have had a croissant for breakfast. Bonjour and bonvenue to another episode of She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field one lady at a time. Our theme this season is all about power couples. Like always, we will focus on the ladies from these dynamic duos, so no need to worry. In today's episode, we will tell the story of Charlotte Perignon. You might have heard Le Coupousier, the Stealer of All Things, and of Pierre Générat, but we about to spill the real tea and let y'all know that Charlotte was behind it all. I'm Jessica Rogers, kicking ass and taking names based out of Washington, D.C.
0: Bonjour, I'm Lizzie Rahr. Doing What I Do, and
1: You Can Do What You Can Do About It, from San Francisco. Hey. (laughs) And I'm Nergeri Rivas, taking over the world in Houston, Texas.
0: Ooh. That's right.
1: Now, for our disclaimer, the three of us are not historians,
0: nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning.
2: Aloha. So... We begin in Paris on October 24th, 1903. Charlotte Perriand was born. Her father was a tailor and her mother was a seamstress.
1: Oh, talk about a power couple right there. Yeah, power couple parents.
0: Yeah. Woo. From what
2: I can tell, Charlotte lived a
0: very comfortable
2: life. She would travel a lot to the nearby mountainous region of Savoy as a child to visit her paternal grandparents. Lovely.
0: Magnifique.
2: Charlotte loved drawing, so much so that her art instructor encouraged her to attend the Ecole de Lyon Central des Arts Decoratives.
1: Oh, shoot. This school was like the motherland of Art Deco in the 1920s and like the place where new design concepts went to be born. To this day, it's internationally recognized as being a great place to learn all sorts of art fields like animation, interior and industrial design, photography, sonography, fashion, textiles. The list keeps going and going. If it's art, it's there.
2: Oh, yeah. So at school, Charlotte learned under Henri Rapin, a very talented practicing interior designer. You know, this type of education gave Charlotte a practical approach to design. She would later say that it disciplined her to bring her ideas from the drawing board to reality.
1: That can be really hard sometimes. Sometimes I get really stuck in design and it's hard to gauge how long to spend on schematic design before needing to rein it in into design development, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be hard to stop iterating on a design.
2: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. At school, she also chose classes that were more design workshops. So another of her teachers was Maurice Dufresne the studio director of La Matrice Workshop, located at the Galerie Raphaillette department store.
0: Ooh, Maurice Dufresne was an artist, and his exhibit at the 1925 International Exposition of Modern Industrial and Decorative Arts in Paris helped solidify what is now considered the quintessential art deco style.
2: Exactly. So between these fantastic artists and designers, Charlotte became a very clever and practical designer. Or an adroit designer. So in 1925, Charlotte's projects were selected for the exposition that uh, Lizzie mentioned, the Exposition Internationale des Arts Decoratives et Industriales Modernes, where Maurice Dufresne even chose some of Charlotte's wall-hanging designs for displays at the Galerie Lafayette, which would later be mass-produced and used in other interior projects done by Dufresne.
0: Ooh, ooh la la. Um, So after
2: graduating, with great encouragement from her professors, Charlotte would submit her work to several other exhibitions. Her most noteworthy exhibition was in 1927 at the Salon d'Automne, where she displayed her design of bar sous le toit, or bar and attic, which was an installation of furniture, finishes, and a built-in bar, in a room filled with decorative wood designs that some would say were fussy. Charlotte's design included aluminum, chrome, and leather furniture. Very futuristic.
1: I mean, that sounds so cool. Bar in the attic. Who wouldn't want that? Sounds safe. (laughs) (laughs) I just looked it up as you were talking and I would have a drink there for sure. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds really cool. And it sounds like her design really stood out in the space.
2: Yeah, so what makes this exhibition even more noteworthy for the 24-year-old Charlotte is because her project there caught the attention of uh, the Le Corbusier. Qui? Tu te payes ma tête? (laughs) Well, actually, prior to this meeting, Charlotte was such a fan of Le Corbusier. You see, Charlotte had heard about Corbu in school. She had even applied to work for Corbu, but got denied. Corbu saying... We don't embroider cochons here.
1: What a freaking jerk.
2: Excusez moi. Well, anyway, by after seeing this exhibition, Corbu realized that he was being less stupid and hired her.
1: <laughs> That's Levre. <vrai>. Big <laughs> eye roll. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So,
2: Charlotte began working with Corbicorb in 1927, where she became responsible for interior research and development. There, she would also work with Pierre Generet, Corbeau's cousin, by the way. The three of them had this shared vision of the machine age, stainless steel, materiality and design.
1: I just had an image of that movie Metropolis and the three of them <laughs> and they're having a blast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So while working for Corbeau, her primary focus was on le quimant interior de l'habitation or the equipment of a modern dwelling. Which basically means furniture. She would basically oversee the fabrication of different prototypes of iconic furniture pieces and their final production. Her three most iconic chairs include Siege Adossier, Bosculon, or Armchair with a Tilting Back, or LC1, the Fautuil Grand Confort Easy Chair, LC2 and LC3, and the Chaise Lounge, LC4.
0: I thought these chairs were from Corbu. Should have known that he would get the credit.
2: Yep. So in my research, they of course acknowledged that in the beginning, Corbu was given all the credit. But in actuality, it was the collaboration between her, Corbu, and Pierre. Pierre's role is said to have been the one to define the framework of the overall forms of the chairs. Charlotte's role was to flesh out the details and the construction. TBD on what Corbu was doing, but yeah, the point is, it was Charlotte that made these things happen.
1: Uh, We know what Corby Corb was doing. Tooting his own damn horn, of course. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that Charlotte was the one bringing the chair to life. Working out the details in the construction, that's really great. Yeah. So, Charlotte
2: herself would say that the three of them would work like three fingers in one hand. Apparently... Corb would outline a typical seating and some lounging posture without even proposing actual designs. And then the actual furniture design would be Charlotte. Basically, Le Corbusier would provide an outline of a seating or a lounging silhouette. (laughs) Cough, no actual design. And Charlotte would design the furniture.
1: Ooh, the tea is spilling. Isn't it? Like, I love that. I'm gonna go make some talented friends, squiggle some lines... Call it furniture, give it to someone who knows what they're doing, then sell the product they designed, call it my own and become glorious and famous right now. Yep.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I feel
1: like I just wrote the manual on how to be a famous Leque
2: architect. <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
1: How to be Le Yep. A beginner's guide.
2: <laughs> yeah, beginner's guide. To be a thief. Okay, anyway, <laughs> get some friends and make them stupid. Okay, anyway. So all of this, though, started to get under Charlotte and Pierre's skin, not getting the credit that they deserved. Oh, yeah. But they understood, I guess, that Corbu was the name. He had the reputation. So as crappy as it sounds for us, they seem to be okay with it.
0: No.
1: Stand up for yourselves. Très <laughs>
2: Yeah. So besides the chairs that I mentioned earlier, Charlotte would design some of the furniture for the interiors of the Type M model apartments done by Corbusier. And you remember the Salon de d'Aptone from earlier, right? Yeah, that's the project she presented, right? Exactly. So in 1929, Charlotte, Pierre and Corbusier collaborated on a project called Interior Design Modern Dwelling. So in this project, you can understand how nicely this collaboration between the three of them worked.
1: Okay, I will look this up. Is it going to be on the show notes?
2: Yes, it'll be in the show notes so that you can see that this was a very well curated space. And it illustrated how Charlotte thought of space and how people could interact with space, making the chairs adjustable, offering a variety of seating, providing clean lines, all with precision, but yet still free and flexible. And this is the type of collaboration and partnership that will prove to be just how Great. She worked with others to do other projects that she did.
0: Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but allowing your spaces to be flexible and to allow the user to be a quote unquote designer in the space is huge. And I think it makes many spaces more successful. And it sounds like Charlotte had the right idea here.
1: Yes, definitely.
2: As time went on, Charlotte would start to explore other materials, like materials seen in nature. Moving away from the machine age into how furniture could be done with minimal manipulation of natural objects such as wood, but still be modern.
0: Ooh, I love this. I really like modern designs, but I do like when they use warmer, cozier materials like wood. It can still be modern and clean, but not cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Scandinavians.
2: Yes. Exactly. So... She was just also seeking a design that was more egalitarian. So this could be why in 1937, Charlotte left Corbus' firm. People will say that their split was amicable. And spoiler alert, she does end up working with him later. But in the end, she will say that their separation was due to political differences.
1: Tram secret.
2: Tram secret.
1: Uh, I wish we could know more. Was it literally political? Like, did they support different candidates? Or was it figuratively political? Like, stop taking credit for my work, you (laughs) shont.
2: Maybe a little bit of both. But, well, only Corbu and Charlotte know the details. Fine. But, yeah. Well, anyway, right before leaving Corbu's firm. She became one of the founders of the Union des Artistes Modernes, or UAM. She founded it with Robert Mallet-Stevens, Jean Prouvé, and René Herbst.
1: Oh, I've heard of this group. They were total rebels. Their motto was, <laughs> "Out with the old and with the new." To say goodbye to anything that was in style or inherited from their grandparents. Design over decoration. Accessible over expensive. Let them eat cake.
2: Oh, oui. So what's important to note of this new group was that Charlotte would become buddy-buddies with Jean Prouvé.
0: Oh, I see. He also worked with Corb, and I'm assuming that's how they met? Exactly. After
2: Corbu, working with Jean Prouvé, this would be her next notable collaboration, because together they would work on more metal-like projects like stair railings and screens. However, what I thought was... A little bit more interesting about this time period, a.k.a. 1930s, is that Charlotte and Jean would work on projects commissioned by the French army.
1: Oh, government contracts over here.
2: Mm-hmm. I thought you were
1: going to say that they fell in love. Did they? It did <laughs> sort of feel that was the direction it was going.
2: Right? Yeah. Nah, uh, this partnership is going to be real different than some of our other ladies. OK, so hashtag no love here. Well, not that kind of love. I'm sure they liked each other, but this is strictly professional.
1: Well, okay. What did they do for the military then? So they would work
2: on the design of military barracks and temporary housing. And after that, what was notable was that, well, when France fell to the Nazi forces, Charlotte would move to Japan.
0: Qua? Why Japan? That seems like an odd
1: choice given the timing. One axis power for another. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I'll explain a little bit later, but she did get invited to go to Japan. So, yeah, it was a good place for her to wait out the war. And in Japan, they were working on things that Charlotte was interested in. Plus her like newfound interest in natural materials.
1: From that point of view, I guess it made sense. Yeah, I suppose so. Just... Strange timing. (laughs) Can Jessica tell we're not buying it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm excited for more information. Yes, tell us more. Yes,
2: okay. Yeah, because... So, while I was reading about her, homegirl liked the outdoors, okay? She liked being in nature. There was always these walks that she would like to take. She loved taking pictures of, like, tree trunks and stuff. And in my research, they didn't really (laughs) dwell too much on the war itself.
0: (laughs) pictures
1: of tree trunks <laughs> and stuff
2: you know yeah yeah like it's just very random but like the girl liked trees and stuff and like shells and like she would like group branches together and like take it and it was like art okay. but hey, like, <laughs> you, you'll see it in my show notes okay and it'll make sense okay. because the point is is that in my research they didn't talk about the war but They kept bringing up this idea that Charlotte just wanted to further her studies of natural materials. And when Japan invited her to be an advisor for them, it just kind of made sense. And even while she was in Japan, actually, she did a lot of stuff. She advised the Japanese government on design standards for the Japanese industry so that they could develop products for the West, if that makes sense. And while she was in Japan, she also studied like woodwork and weaving and things like that.
1: Woodwork and weaving sounds pretty. Do we talk about this already with Nobuko, maybe? I feel like there was another lady that did this. Do you remember? Well, Nobuko did photography, not woodworking and weaving. Yeah, but I feel like maybe season two or three or something, we discussed this. I guess I'm going to go re-listen to our show and see if I find it. Yeah.
2: Actually, I think it was um, Lily Reich. She did woodwork and weaving. There we go. But um, so Charlotte also she would read this book that was notable to her called the Book of Tea.
0: Ooh! So I looked it up. The Book of Tea is about teaism, Zen, and Taoism, and how it relates to Japanese culture. I gotta say, I had no idea that teaism was a thing. It sounds like a hierarchy of teas or something. And I was curious to see who was at
1: the top. Mm-hmm. I would say black tea is at the top because it's the only one that I really know. The only one?
2: Ooh, girl. Yeah. Yeah, right? What about green tea? And then there's matcha. Matcha has this whole cadence and ritual you got to do with it. Like the little brush thing with the bowl.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that tastes cool. too leafy. That's not the king of leaves. Or teas. <laughs> the king of leaves? <laughs> For the record,
2: I love me some peppermint and cinnamon spice.
0: I mean, I have to agree that for me, Black Tea is at the top. Also, Chai, Earl Grey, TJ's Winter Wake Up. I mean, so many good options. Anyway, the book, The Book of Tea, is about the practice of tea, not the hierarchy. Uh, That (laughs) makes Mm
1: -hmm. sense. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So between this Zen lifestyle, reading that book, And her Japanese nature walks that she would take her life just became much more organic and natural.
1: Oh, lovely. Very mindful. Very zen. Very tea. (laughs) (laughs) So after the
2: war, there was a huge exploration of mass production. The world was rebuilding mass-produced homes, mass-produced furniture, and materials to allow for mass production.
1: Oh, yes. In the States... They were preparing for soldiers to come back home. So they were looking at mass production and the birth of suburbia.
2: Exactly. So while in Tokyo, Charlotte began to explore other materials like straw and bamboo, polymers and acrylics. All materials that can be mass produced, by the way. But what's notable from this exploration is the famous lounge chair that I mentioned at the beginning.
1: The lounge chair that she made while working with Corbu. Well, when I say working, it makes it sound like he did something. You mean the chair
0: that (laughs) Corbu breathed on while she built?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that one. And she made another one out of bamboo.
1: Did Corbu try to slap his name on that one, too? Probably.
2: (laughs) Nah. The benefits of being in Japan was that he was too far away to write his name on it. That helps. But listeners... Yeah. Be sure to check out our show notes because it's just so interesting to look at that Tokyo lounge chair versus the original chaise lounge.
1: So I was looking at them and I went back and forth for a while. At first, I was all about the bamboo one, but I got to say, I dig the original one a little more. It's more my style. Actually, no, no, no. I like the bamboo. The bamboo looks like continuous. I don't know. They're both too good. (laughs) Oh, you keep flip flopping. I know. Your <laughs> oh, I like the bamboo one best. End of story. Yeah, you yeah. know that was my first instinct. I should trust my gut. Okay, right. bamboo. Let's buy the bamboo. Oui, excellent.
2: Yeah, let's buy the bamboo.
1: <laughs> I think we'll we should. We'll Ooh, let
2: the listeners vote. Let's put it on vote. Instagram. Yeah, Ooh, they'll yeah. vote. Yeah, which one do you like better? Team Bamboo or yeah, Tokyo or Français Chaise Lounge. Well. Okay. Anyway, so speaking of Corbu, y'all remember I said she was going to come back to Corbu. Well, mm-hmm. Unité de Habitación en Mercedes, does that ring a bell?
1: I actually really like that project. It's a modernist residential project by Le Corbusier where he tested a lot of his theories on architecture. It's one of those like super influential projects that they make us memorize in school.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember having to study it a lot. <laughs> yeah, thank
2: you, architecture school. Charlotte did the interiors for that. That kitchen design—it's got Charlotte's name written all over it. And how about the Cité université in Paris and the Maison de Brazil by Lucio Costa?
1: Let Who do you me think guess. Did those? Charlotte <laughs> did
0: that
2: too. We. Oui. She would also work on the Maison de la Tunisie with her buddy Jean Prouvé.
0: Okay, these are really big projects. Like, we actually studied them in school a lot. Tell me she got recognized, even though since I haven't heard about her when we studied them, I feel like I know the answer. You do.
2: Yeah, you do. Because these projects with Corbu, duh, I didn't hear her name. And I would like to think that other people, not the public, recognized her talent and trusted her to work on other projects on her own.
1: I don't know how I feel about this. Mm.
2: Yeah, it's saddening and, well, nerve wracking. During my research, I tried to go back and research those projects by Corbu. I couldn't find Charlotte's name anywhere. But while researching Charlotte, it became more apparent. And people knew that it was her work. They would even compliment it when describing her contributions.
0: I mean, I guess at least people generally knew that she was involved. That's better than some of our
1: ladies get. I'll give her that. But it's still not okay. Yeah. Right. We got to keep spreading the word and correcting this. Facts. So, Charlotte,
2: she would later do the commercial interiors for Air France in London. interiors for these lodges in the French Alps, but her last and largest major project was the ski resort of Les Arcs in Savoy, aka where her family was born.
1: Oh, she really went all the way up. All the way up.
2: So anyway, this season it's about partnerships and collaborations. So I couldn't finish this episode without mentioning her favorite collaboration.
1: If you say Le Corbusier, I'll hurl. There's no <laughs> way he's her favorite
0: with all those political differences and whatnot. She says with fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> OK, none of that. But
2: now Charlotte, she would marry some dude named Percy Koner Scholefield in 1926. So you see, Norgity and Lizzie, nothing romantical could ever happen with Corbu, Pierre or Prouvé because she had Percy.
0: Ooh, dark horse Percy coming out of the woodwork here.
2: <laughs> okay, it was, like, short-lived, though. Like, don't dwell on it too much because she did divorce him. What? And then she ends Woof. up marrying Jacques Martin. And in 1944, the greatest collaboration was born, their daughter, Pernet.
0: So soon? Just when I was getting to know Percy.
1: Yeah, like, was the <laughs> even dry on the divorce in the story? Mm. No. Mm. Uh, maybe, maybe like 20 years have passed, but I only know one right? sentence. And like gap. <laughs> but for us, yeah, she, it was such a touch. My gosh. Yeah. All
2: right. It was literally one sentence in my research, though. So. <laughs> it's like two, maybe, but it's like partnerships with, with Corbin. Oh, wow.
0: Prouvé. That was uh, a lot of Yeah. I yeah. will say that's super cute about their daughter. Tell us more about her.
2: Yes, because I think this is also really great because her daughter, Prunette, she would work alongside Charlotte for over 25 years.
1: Adorable. (laughs) Uh, Most definitely Charlotte's favorite partnership.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. So along with motherhood and these projects, Charlotte also taught. She taught in Japan and in France. And with her daughter alongside her, she would work on these projects that I mentioned, but she would also do a retrospective of her work at a museum in Paris. Incredible! So cool! <laughs> she even wrote her autobiography called Une vie de création in 1998. But then, in October 27, 1999, just three days after her 96th birthday, Charlotte Parion passed away.
0: Wow. She lived a good long life, and it sounds like she got to spend a lot of it working with her daughter, which is really amazing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it really was. After that rocky start working under the shadow of Corbusier, which, let's be honest, is not that rocky of a start. She probably really appreciated all the connections and improving her skills alongside Pierre. And then she moves on, studies the hierarchy of Ts, and... (laughs) becomes an even bigger badass mama. I mean, what an inspiration.
2: Yeah. I will say that in her death and perhaps it's because of her daughter, people will know who Charlotte is. I had mentioned the exhibitions of her work that took place in the 90s, but there were other exhibitions just in 2019 and in 2020 and another one in 2021. I heard about the one in 2021 on a podcast episode from Front Row Daily BBC radio that aired just back in June that briefly talked about the exhibition.
0: I love that her name is still being recognized. It mm-hmm. better be. That's right. Yeah.
2: So actually, before my research, I first got really interested in learning about Charlotte last year in 2021. I was attending the virtual AIA conference and during the film night, they showed a film about her. Ooh. It's called Charlotte Perriand. Pioneer in the Art of Living. And I thought it was so cool. I actually considered having her for our season where we talked about professors in academia. But I'm glad we got to talk about her and her collaborations with so many cool people.
1: I need to go watch that movie now. Mm -hmm. Yes. How do we get our hands on this movie? I Googled it and I was not successful. Oh, no.
2: I don't know. I wasn't able to find any links to purchase Mm -hmm. um, to watch it. I think maybe because it was a part of... The film festival. So I'm not sure. But what I can do is I'll put a 20 minute YouTube documentary of our work in our show notes because I thought that was also pretty cool too. A good shot of the Tokyo Lounge chair.
1: Okay.
2: Let's pause for a quick word from our sponsors. Yeah, that's right. We got sponsors now. (laughs) Monograph is building a community of firm owners and operation leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. Also, they're building the only cloud-based practice operation software built exclusively for Architects by Architects.
0: Monograph's easy-to-use and beautifully designed software allows you and your teams to know in near real time whether you are on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, and assign roles for team members all in one place. Track a project's financial health with their unique money Gantt which takes your team's time and makes it simple to see whether you're on track for financial success and use their firm-wide revenue forecast to make important strategic decisions. The best part of Monograph,
2: it doesn't require a degree in finance to use. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com.
1: Check this out. From March 8th through March 10th, Monograph will be hosting Section Cut, a virtual conference, Here, they'll bring firm owners, operations, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops how to improve their business. There's even going to be an all-day virtual career fair where employers pitch their firms. You can register today to reserve a seat by visiting sectioncut.com or check out our show notes for a link.
2: Yeah, be sure to check out that link and head on over to the Section Cut virtual conference.
1: Our homegirls and
2: fellow podcasters, Evelyn Lee and Janine Chastain from Practice Disrupted, will be speaking there. Yeah.
0: All right. Yeah.
2: Now, back to our show. All right, ladies. Now we have reached the second half of our episode, the carotid. Nigeria, can you remind us what a carotid is, s'il vous plaît?
1: Oui, oui. Sure thing, she can wing. (laughs) A caryatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we choose a karyatid, a woman who is working today furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode.
2: All right. So this week's caryatid goes, right, so goes to... Lauren Larson! Yay! Way, way, way. Bow, bow. Lauren Larson is a furniture designer with her hubby, Christian Swafford, based out of New York. And together they have a company called Material Lust. Oh. Yes, all of their furniture is very sculptural and it has all these brutalist forms. I know their products look real cool and it reminded me a little bit of Charlotte's furniture, but more in the now, you know. And this article that I'll post in the show notes talks about their partnership and how they collaborate with one another. Very cute.
1: Ooh, I want to know more. That's such a catchy name. I know. I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, for a brief background, they both studied at Parsons School of Design, where Lauren studied interior and Christian studied product design. Lauren is basically the designer behind everything. And Christian, he builds it.
1: See, that's a true collaboration. Yes, I
0: love it. <laughs> they each have their strengths and they play to them.
2: Exactly.
0: All right. So
2: before we bid adieu, we want to give lots and lots of mercies to CMYK for the music. John W., our technical producer. And most of all, merci for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning more about Charlotte and Lauren, along with our banter, and that you're inspired to find out more about them and our Amazing professional ladies.
0: Again, merci. Did you know Builds podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network? What is Gable Media, you might ask? Well, I'll tell you. It's curated thought leadership for an audience that is dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all 10 shows
1: at GableMedia.com. That's G A B L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your professors, your furniture designers, your tea fanatics. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This all helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are
2: excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Shibas Podcast, and on Twitter at SheBotsPod. Au revoir! Au revoir! Uh, which is Where interesting because... In this
0: conversation last night? She was finishing was the script. Ra- I, was, I was finishing
2: the script. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Well, anyway...